Talkward, cringeworthy tales. And now, your host, weekly humorist, editor-in-chief, Marty Dundix. Hi, and welcome to Talkward. I'm Marty Dundix, editor-in-chief of Weekly Humorous Magazine, and this is Talkward, a fun little show where professionally funny people come to tell awkward and cringeworthy stories. I'm very excited about today's guests. Um, not coincidentally, because uh, they have a book coming out that uh, Humorous Books is publishing, uh, totally coincidentally that they were booked today to promote this new book that I had no idea about, but at the same time am publishing Bob Eckstein and Michael Shaw. Welcome to Talkward. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thanks you for allowing us to be here, Bob and Marty. Um, and and uh, this is a remote podcast. Usually these things are in studio. We are all over the world now. Um, I'm from a uh, weekly humorous bunker in New York City. Uh, and Michael, where are you joining us from? I am in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I understand uh, Joe Biden's in town today, so he might be stopping in. Look at that. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. And Jim Carrey is going to be playing him on SNL. Printing a Biden, Biden sign off of a printer right now. Are you? Is that the yard sale? You're printing? You're doing some printing? It's. She came down and took the printer and said, "What are you?" I said, "What are you doing?" And she goes, "I'm going to make a Biden sign." Okay. Great. Go steal one off a yard. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's just like everybody else. And Bob Eckstein, Bob, you are in Pennsylvania. I'm downstairs. No, no, I'm in the room next to you. I am below you. I am in your basement, and I've been here, and I am really waiting for anyone to bring me some food. Actually, you, this whole thing has been confusing because I thought we were going on car talk. I am prepared <laughs> for it. I, I have all these notes uh, that I'm a big fan, that I've been uh, listening for years, and I have all these questions about my Mini Cooper, and uh, <laughs> this is all throwing me totally. I've got this carburetor, and it's making a sound like this. Those guys, well, I do, the car talk I do is very problem. informative. Yeah, I do have a problem with my car, and Michael probably can help me. So I just want to get this out of the way okay. and ask him right now. That's okay. My Please go ahead. Is, every so often, there's a funny smell coming in my car. I'm like, if I accelerate, it smells like gassy, like a fart. And then it goes away. And then I can be driving and stuff, and then it reappears unexpectedly. Or wow. it depends on who's in the car. No, no, Bob, you got to take those empty used white castle boxes out of the car okay you just can't pile up in the back now where do i put them you dispose of them properly feed them to your bears you do that that's a good yeah. that's a very good suggestion bob Eckstein is living in like a wooded property area and you've got an alarming amount of bears that come in and out of your of your backyard and yeah you, we have visitors all the time you document them with quite normalcy in my opinion <laughs> Like the way I take a photo of like a squirrel and I'm fascinated. You've got like six bears in your backyard. Yeah, if anybody wants to see the operetta I worked on last year, the squirrel operetta is on McSweeney's. Oh, I remember seeing that. So Bob, well, yeah. but just to do more introductions, Bob and, and Michael, you're both cartoonists. You're both um, a longtime cartoonists for uh, many respectable and unrespectable publications. Um, most notably, the New Yorker, most disrespectfully, the Weekly Humorist, um, and you have a, a book of cartoons and text mixed together coming out. Um, it's it's called the element. It's called the, the elements, elements of, stress. of stress. Yes, the right. elements of stress. And this is a handbook that we brought out. This is what we did during our pandemic. This was our public service, and uh, 
we wanted to uh, reach out to people in a fun way, though, um, as Michael likes to say, uh, things could not get any worse, but things can get much funnier. Well, that was you, Bob. Well, no, it's General Custard. Oh, <laughs> I said tragedy plus time equals comedy, but who's got time anymore? It's true. We don't have time for that. No, let's go straight, you know. You got to jump right into it. That's right. So so the book we should explain is a parody of The Elements of Style, a book that I think Michael and I would both consider on our top 10 books to bring to a desert island. And um, we, we love the book and we wanted to do a parody. And it, we made some transitions of before I got to this point. But ultimately, we did a book about this this year and about stress. And I like to think that it's actually very helpful, too. When I pitched the book to Bob, I, it was called originally The Elements of Bliss and How to Live Happily. And it kind of took a weird turn. It took an absolute <laughs> left turn. Oh. <laughs> this is the yeah. opposite of the book that you wanted to do. And, yes. and here we are. <laughs> you know, it's funny. People like to say that there's a moment when Donald Trump decided to run for president. And we all heard the story about how Seth Meyers had had done right. the political journalist uh, dinner, right? The and then he skewed right. He skewed um, Trump, and it, it motivated Trump to get revenge and decide to run. I feel like the this whole thing with the book and stress and stuff for me it began on election night, two thousand sixteen, and I was uh, I was texting a friend, a new friend that I was all excited about being friends with. And this was Terry Gross, Terry Gross from radio from fresh she air was saying yeah. that she's, she was saying that we we're going to celebrate. And this is such a glorious night. And she was so excited about Hillary becoming the first woman president. And I was texting her from the middle of the New York times newsroom. We were in, I was in the middle of the newsroom and there was cake, there was balloons. And by nine 30, the place got so dead quiet. It was like a fart went off in church. All of a sudden, everyone just got so negative, including Terry Gross's uh, email. And from since that moment, I feel like everything in the universe has kind of gone backwards. Yeah, things soured very quickly that night. I remember I was at a a big event at a at a bar restaurant in Park Slope in Brooklyn, where I live, and it was packed. And in the enthusiasm, it was electric, and they had a big, you know, huge projection screen down, and it was just like a party atmosphere and then like the night ticked on and then it just got yeah. emptier and emptier and quieter and quieter. And people were just like <laughs> drinking silently. And, uh, I'd like, excuse me. I'd like to say I voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> I, I, and this podcast is over. <laughs> just I'm remove just him from trying the room. to be awkward. <laughs> and this comes I, to a, a screeching halt. <laughs> Um, I have a Terry Gross story I want to follow up, though. With oh, I'd love it. I am 100% Terry Gross stories. That's it. That's, okay. I, got the, I have a whole other podcast. All that is. But go ahead. <laughs> that night, I remember saying to her, I, I was so, I felt so, um, so lucky to have this correspondence with her during election night that we're going back and forth. And I said to her, you know, I really appreciate this. I, I really appreciate it because I know how, how busty you are. Uh, autocorrect to change the word busy to busty. And I never had to apologize to her. I said, I didn't mean that. I said, I appreciate how, how busy you are. 
And then another thing I remember saying is I, I said to Terry, I said, if only there was a book during this election to get me through these times, a, a book about stress that I wrote with Michael Shaw that can help us. And here we are in these next elections and we are prepared. You're ready to this go. This is it. Yeah. That's why this book is coming out because of this election. This and book is amazing. And it's... Talk about... Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I said, and since we're just going to talk about Terry Gross for the whole hour, uh, I have the official Terry Gross New Yorker cartoon, which I sent to her after it was published. And she said, thanks. That's a great yeah, story. Michael, we talked about that. And I don't know how much you remember, but I remember us saying, I told you that Terry Gross would love to be in a cartoon. And you you had this great idea. And I said, oh, God, th she's going to love this. And then sure enough, it got published. I told her I, I loved her in Sleepwalk with me. I think that did it. There you go. Well, so. do, she, do you, you remember the, the Mike Sachs article, NPR Fan Fiction? Uh, that's on Weekly Humorist, and it, I think you sent this article to Terry Gross, and it is uh. very erotic, <laughs> and it's talking about, like, a post-apocalyptic, like, world, and it's, it's focused in D.C., and it has, like, all, but it's all about NPR anchors, <laughs> and it's like they're living in this world with, like, vampires and monsters, and it's very sensual, <laughs> and it's, like, it's very blue, and I know. it's sexy. I know. And uh, Mike Sachs wrote it, and he's so funny. And you sent it to Terry Gross, and she wrote something. What did she write to you? Something like she was she was a good sport about it. She yeah. wrote back that she was uh, blushing, and <laughs> it was pornographic. Everybody's blushing when they read that article. And it's funny you should say this because just by total coincidence, the last person I spoke to before this podcast went on the air was Mike Sachs. Really? Hi, Mike Sachs. Mike Sachs, big fan of Mike Sachs. He gives you a great quote here. I have some of the praise right here for the elements of stress. And, and he truly liked the book. He, he wrote me on the side. I asked him for a blurb. And then not, on like, the side, he not was, like the rest of the blurbs who just made it up. But Mike's right. is real. Oh, that's some of my best writing. Those blurbs <laughs> that I came up with are They're just They're very wonderful. good. But Mike, but Mike said he truly, really thought the book was hilarious. Um, I have some that I'm going to read here, if that's okay. It doesn't embarrass you too much. I'll, I'll start with Mike Sachs's. This book made me laugh like hell. I was heavily sedated, but it did. Looking forward to reading it more closely or at all. End quote. Mike Sachs. Poking a deck frog. Stinker lets loose. Randy. Passable in pink. Thank you, Mike Sachs. This is a good one, too, from uh, Ron Haig. If this book doesn't make you happy-ish, you're hopeless-ish. Thanks, Bob and Michael. Ron Haig. Ish. Simpson, Before you move Seinfeld, on to the Ron next blurb. Yeah. Before you move on, I just want to comment that Mike is responsible for these books called like poke the frog and, and these other books that were tremendously helpful to me. And I recommend them to people who want to study humor. They're really like a Bible to comedy. And he himself is like a, a comic historian yeah. who's been on the CNN series, history of comedy. He's and then, a, and and he's then a great guy. He's a very nice guy. He's a very funny guy. He's very yeah. um, modest, but hugely immensely talented. Um, yeah, and then there's Ron, and Ron is a tremendous talent. Ah, and Ron's, and Ron's cartoons right now are so good, and they're so sharp. Um, definitely yeah. check out Ron Haig's cartoons on Instagram. Um, he might have a book coming out soon that we're excited about. Um, he was my favorite humorist growing up when I was at the Village Voice. I was a teenager, and I was, I had a column, and I admired him from afar and i it was my dream to one day meet him or speak to him 
And I, I, I didn't get a chance to, but I always loved his work immensely. And then 40 years later, he contacted me and was complimenting me on my work. And now we've become close friends. He's very, it's amazing. Yeah. He's a very nice guy. And, um, the other one I got here, that's very, Very we have Jack Handy, Jack Handy, deep thoughts. Jack Handy writes, not to stress you out, but buy this book. It's very funny. Buy it now. And, uh, that's Jack Handy said this. He's from Saturday Night Live. Yes. Everybody knows who Jack Handy is, Bob. Everybody. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure people knew. Um, okay. Chris Monks from McSweeney's gave you a quote. Very nice quote. This hilarious book will help you forget this oppressively dark period of human civilization for a good 10 or 11 minutes. The <laughs> element of stress is a perfect respite for whichever unrelenting, soul-crushing torment you're currently experiencing. McSweeney's Nothing like over-promising and under-delivering. It's the name of the game. I know. It's the name of the game right now. I'm going to have to read this book. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Me I, too. I, I could, I'm excited about reading this book. It sounds great. Know. Well, you know, Michael's con- contributions to the book, I, I feel like uh, he has, once in a blue moon, he strikes lightning. And his cartoons in the book, to me, make it worth it. Even if there were no words in, in the book, it was just Michael's cartoons that are in the book now, which... I counted. It's it's actually like fifty five cartoons. It would make this book but, so much easier to read if there were no words and just cartoons. But maybe next goal. time. <laughs> I'm trying to convince here. Uh, Blue moon and lightning in one sentence. That was pretty good. I told people it's a very fast read. I, I said that we've tried to put the font size at like seventy six. Yeah. So you can get through the book really. It's a ten minute read, but it isn't a ten minute read because there's so much to think about. Every idea we have makes you ponder and go out and walk in the woods and rethink your whole life. It has a so great theme. It it weaves a nice story. It goes, you know, it's it's a well, I feel like it's a well-organized collection of self-help topics of stress. And it 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 addresses each topic of stress in a very uh well-thought way that I enjoyed. And it helped me when I was uh meditating before doing this show it's you also, look it's, better it's Thank also you. historic and folkloric much like car talk exactly yes i mean exactly like it has talk. history we go back to different times um we go back to bc times also before corona but real bc times we have some caveman drawings in there um i have uh i have a whole bunch of questions to ask you about the book well, also, so for, number one, when did you first come up with the idea of this book to do for this this publishing period? It was has to be, you know, March, April. Well, Michael, you could tell your side of the story, and then I'll yes. correct you. It was sudden and frightening, actually, because uh, I'm sort of a, you know, I'm not a big fan of elements of style. I think it's a hard book to read, so I've, I've always been playing with making fun of it creating a parody of that. So I kind of pitched that idea to Bob and he goes, no, no, let me fix this. Just, you know, here's the, here's the keys to the limousine. Let me go. And I did. So that's, that's my story. Or the keys to his broken Mini Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> Don't buy the Mini Cooper. I, Bob know. loves his Mini Cooper. And I've heard so many it's stories. It's a real Mini Cooper. It's like a BM, bad BMW. No, let's just, let's just clear the air, pun intended. The thing is, is 
it doesn't smell when you're idle. It's only when you accelerate going uphill that all of a sudden you have this farty smell and you have to roll down the windows. And that's I've been your, doing uh, That's your catalytic converter. It's probably clogged. You think? Oh, yeah. Is this, a, is this a stick shift um, Mini Cooper? No. no. No, it's an automatic because my Wait, wife drives you're it too. a Mini Cooper with an automatic? Well, we share, I share the car with my wife, and she doesn't drive a stick. Hmm. But oh. also, what about this? Like, every time I, I put it in reverse, though, for a split <laughs> second, it goes, da, 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 and then it goes away, and then I'll, and the car is running fine, but it makes that little da, 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 we have and, turned into uh, car talk. And, and, and what about the book, Bob? Bob, talk about the book. Oh, the book. The book no. was initially, we actually talked about making it the elements of strife, which has a very poetic sound to the elements of style. But of course, there was no reason for us to be so married to doing a parody because really the, the motive of the book is to help people. And the, the word strife actually is such a complex concept that to, to make it understandable for people, I think Michael and me agreed to, simple, to simplify the book to make it the element of, stru- of stress was a smart move and made it clearer to what our, our motives were. Would you agree, Michael? Yes, and you said I wrote like Thomas Pynchon on Ritalin. It was like well, indecipherable. Well, you, but what about you Bronson Pynchon? Oh, I love him. I'm, uh, Perfect Strangers. Yeah, he was Balky. Oh yeah, uh, I look a little like cousin Larry. <laughs> kind of cousin Larry. Yeah. How did you guys write this book? Did did you guys write this book similar to how we're doing this interview, where it was just a lot of conference calling? No, Bob no. would send me parts and said, "Make this funnier," and then I'd make it funnier and send it back. No, and I've been a big. Deci- That's a good process. It is. I. I've been a big disciple of John Cleese. John Cleese does lectures and, and does these books about how to be more creative and how to eliminate anxiety and be more playful to become more creative. And then he talked about during this process, how he worked with his writing partner, Graham Chapman. And I do feel like there were some parallels where I was doing some of the grunt work, but Graham Chap- Chapman for John Cleese would sometimes come up with the ways to really make a, a piece be really gold. And Michael, he's, it's true with his cartoons. And cartoons and writing is that he does some work, then all of a sudden it's a home run that goes clear over the stadium wall. And I think that was his contribution was to be able to not make me so pedestrian. I feel like, um, and I'm seeing a lot more because I was inter- I was introduced to Michael through you, Bob, to publish on Weekly Humorist. And I've seen so many Michael Shaw cartoons putting this book together. And Michael, your cartoons are fantastic. Like, I love how seemingly simple they are. Like, your your drawing style is so sort of this, like, not effortless, but it's very comfortable and it's very, like, light and smooth and... It's just like this nice little, you know, wispy. It's almost like a croissant of mm. cartooning. Amazingly, uh, cartooning to me is pure torture. <laughs> it's just, it is. It's it's awful. You so know, when I used to when I used to submit stuff, uh, like Bob Mankoff said, there's good good cartoonists 
and there are good bad cartoonists. Michael is a good bad cartoonist. And he said, you like your work, don't move to New York. So I took his advice. Well, New yep. York's uh, New York's kind of a um, expensive place for anybody to to live and, and, and in a Bob's creative not right pursuit. About everything. You know, I, no, he I, was right. I, now you should have been a regular cartoonist in the New Yorker. Your drawing is unique. It's a unique voice. I, I tell my cartoon friends who I try to keep away from you, and we talk about your work, and we all admire it. But you are a favorite among cartoonists who are seasoned and experienced. That's just sad. It is. But you've been cartooning for, when did you first start car cartooning, Michael? Uh, just for money or for fun? For for your body. For anything. Okay. When I was Like, when did you old, first start doing gag cartoons? Like, when did you first uh, start doing a single panel? Yes. When I was 10 years old, I actually got a copy, and I still have it, of Thurber and Company. And it's this collection of James Thurber cartoons that are were a little more obscure, but I didn't even know who James Thurber was. I just started looking at them. I go, wow, these are really bad. This guy can't draw. I can do that. So and that was your like, motivator. Your motivator was, yeah, I go, this person has published work. I'm better than this. I should yes, be able to do I, this. I too. actually have a twin brother, Patrick, and he, he was actually a better artist than you I You have am. a twin brother? Identical? Yes. Yes. I, I like Is one of you evil? Is it you? Oh, yeah, we have uh, T-shirts that say, I'm the evil. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Marty, after this, Michael's going to say, you know, let's do our own podcast. I can do better than this. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for that interjection. Very nice. <laughs> I don't know. I... You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so... I, I, that's when I started doodling around, I guess. And we would draw comic books because I was raised on a hill in the country in the rolling foothills of the Ozarks. And much like this television, we had like two channels and neither of them came in well. So you'd sit there and you would just draw. Yeah. And we would draw bad uh, comic books. So I created the Tranquil Four and it was this superhero uh, team where nothing ever happened because they were so tranquil. And we would just like draw. And then I got into high school, never took an art class. I did a little stuff with the uh, school newspaper, got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> then I decided I wanted to go to college. I like first generation college and I got my BFA in painting. So I discovered uh, I couldn't paint either. <laughs> so I couldn't paint, I couldn't draw. All that was left was cartoons. So. But all those things are so subjective, aren't they? I mean, you could be, anybody can paint, anybody can draw, anybody can do these things. But for a cartoon to be good, it has to have a solid gag. Like, you can be a terrible artist, and you can be a great cartoonist, because if you have a really good joke, you, and if you can figure out a way to illustrate it with whatever your style is, so you can yeah. have a style that isn't typical. But if you can make the, the joke work with your style, then it's a great cartoon. So, right. I actually am a believer in that the joke has to live both in the gag and in the cartoon. So it can't just be like two people talking to each other saying something funny. Right. Exactly. I, like, and the style can't be so bad that it's distracting. But but people can develop their own style that's not traditionally. Oh, that's right. you know, wonderful. You know, like uh, Matt Diffie has a a very specific, beautiful pencil sketch style that is 
amazing. Like, I love his work. His work is here's just a fun, art. Here's a fun Matt Diffie story. So we both got into the New Yorker because we won this contest uh, for the Algonquin Hotel. And Matt says, don't tell anyone this because I don't want... He talks about it now. He talked about it on the mock. So I figure, you know, cat's out of the bag. So Diffie was a winner and I was a winner. And there's another guy. And I remember, I said, are you a cartoonist? He goes, no, I'm an illustrator and a painter. And <laughs> he wasn't a cartoonist yet. So um, he became uh, we one. This, we won this contest. We got a weekend up at the Algonquin. We got wined and dined. And I thought I was really in. I go, now I'm in. I met Mankoff. I met Roz Chast. This is going to be groovy. So like another year and a half, two years, a eh, year and a half passes. I get this big packet. I open it up and I think it's my uh, New Yorker uh, uh, onboarding information. <laughs> now you're going to be a famous car. What you need to know if you're going to yes. become a famous Welcome New Yorker cartoon. <laughs> Welcome so, to your future. <laughs> yes, I, I opened it up and it was all the cartoons I had sent with a note that said, if you want your cartoons returned, please include uh, return postage. So I thought, wow, they're looking at them. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, it took me about, you know, a year after that to first get published. So. And how, and what, what year was that? 1999. Okay. It was the, it was actually the issue that, that spanned the millennial. So it was the 99, 2000 issue. And the cartoon was uh, just this guy, weird looking guy looked kind of like uh, drawn by Matt Gehring. I had no style yet. And he was, he was in jail reading uh, chicken soup for the criminally insane. So that I was on my way. Um, when did you develop your style? I'm looking at some of the pages of the book right here. This is one of my yeah. favorite cartoons. Uh, it's um, a guy at a... Uh, he's lining up at the firing squad. Yes. Right? And there's a, a, a general or whatever talking to a guy that has a, a blindfold and a cigarette in his mouth. And the guy says to the um, the doomed inmate, there's no shooting. We just make you keep smoking. Yes. So my style came out because... Love it. Back then, I was working at Land's End Catalog in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. And I actually met Bruce McCall. And they gave me, uh, they would get all these, uh, they would buy all these cartoons and illustrations. And some of them didn't have captions. And they said, here, Michael, caption these. So it was like a, a Woodman cartoon mm -hmm. uh, of uh, reindeer between airplanes they go this needs a caption so my caption was how long is our layover in cleveland right so that was fun that i met uh bruce mccall and uh the reason my style is like that is because i used to get up at like 5 30 in the morning drink a bunch of coffee and have an hour to draw so i was drawing really really fast mm -hmm. and it was just i would get these things back and down below it say draw better or this, this desk looks like it's made out of cheese or something like that. <laughs> and that. That's all true. So then I said, I'm just going to draw like this, but I'm going to draw slower. Hmm. So I'm like drawing fast, very slowly. And that's the style. I mean, I don't draw wrists. I didn't draw necks. You don't need necks. You don't need wrists. Yeah, you have, all the, you have all the major parts that you need. Most of them or the idea of a part. 
Mike likes to draw genitals. This is a very good cartoon. Uh, generals. This cart genitals or generals? Both? <laughs> I don't think I've ever drawn a general. Where do you put the metal? The, I know. Um, this is a great one, too. Um, and this is a complex drawing you did here. Yes. Um, this is a doctor talking to a couple. This is in the book. And it says, I've identified the mysterious lump, Mrs. Feldman. It's your husband. And this is a lot of detail in it. Was this like a much later cartoon? Yes. Now, what was interesting is back then in the day, there weren't that many kind of quirky cartoonists. And I was told specifically to draw as carefully as possible and to be very deadpan about it. So that was me trying to be precise, trying to be uh, Exteinian in my drawing technique. So this was an earlier cartoon. No, that's a later one. Okay. My old style was much looser. Mm -hmm. Then it was beaten out of me. <laughs> a cartoon that you did for Weekly Humorist early in the pandemic, early in the work from home, kids at home, everyone's going crazy. Yeah. It was a couple sitting at a table and a woman with a guy, and she says to the yeah. guy, maybe you should work from someone else's home. Yes, I, I really like that one. And that was a great cartoon that did very, very well. And Yahoo News included that cartoon when they talked to me about humor during uh, the pandemic and during stressful times. So that's a good tra transition to talk about your book. And what what about humor? How How does humor help when things are so terrible and every, everything seems like it's falling apart. We as human as as humanity look, we always pop up with jokes. Everyone just, I think, instinctively, yes. we pop up with jokes. Bob, how do you pop up with jokes during really, really depressing times when everyone should be sad? But it, if you watch, like, this is an interesting thing that I always notice. If you watch like a soap opera, it's so dramatic that it's super unrealistic because comedies are more realistic than dramas. Because in reality, we make fun of everything because it breaks the tension. So how does humor help? And, and why is it that we, that we use comedy to deal with uh, stress and tragedy? Well, the best cartoons diffuse tension with, when you do a setup for a cartoon, usually the setup is creating something negative in this tension. And then the punchline releases that through an unpredictable ending or something that's surprisingly funny or something like that. So that is the formula for a good cartoon is to have this setup that's uh, negative or a, a, a premise in which there's a dire situation. Um, how you work as professional, it's, you know, sort of a survival thing that we've been working and producing so much work. I mean, it's been very stressful for me because um, I've been writing a book with Michael. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, I know I've been getting a lot of those emails. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been, uh, but I was teaching and I was doing all these other things, which was uh, discussed in the book actually is pivoting is that we've all of us have had to pivot what we're used to doing and out of our comfort zone and doing something different to whether it's making a living or just keeping sane. I mean, right now I'm working on trying to make my garage door opener into a home gym and doing different things like that. I mean, like, it's just so abnormal. So how to be funny is that sometimes it's just the way to get by. I mean, it's like everyone is, well, everyone thinks they're funny now. There's a lot of jokes everywhere. Everyone's got, you know, comeback for something on yeah. Twitter or something. And if we didn't make know. jokes, what would we do? We would just lie down 
<laughs> it's like there's nothing else to do. Right. I, I don't know when I'm being funny. So like what? You know, I was I funny? Oh, okay. How do you yeah. come up with ideas for the cartoons that you guys draw? Um, one of my favorite, oh, this is a great one too. This is another Michael Shaw. I will highlight some Bob cartoons also because there are a couple in the book. Okay. But, uh, this one I just happened upon, which is a great one where it's a, uh, it looks like a, a homeless guy on the street corner next to a trash can begging for money. And the woman is looking at him and the man saying to the woman, can we talk about this after work? Yes. So <laughs> I actually, I actually do. I put people into the worst possible situation. <laughs> you do. Like nothing. Nothing good is happening here. Is that is that the Wisconsin in you? No, I'm, I'm not a native. Oh, okay. I'm Wisconsin mean, but I am a Midwesterner. Okay. I well, am a little sad. I'm a little sad that the cartoons are being read this way because without the drawings, the the drawings do enhance these jokes. Of course they it's do. Somewhat like yeah, it's like sort of like a stand up. Actually, comedian. I can see them on Marty's screen. They look fine. <laughs> Barely, you could barely see him. But yeah, I mean, and as far as uh, I have a couple. Cartoons, Hold on, I got a couple of things we can show here. I, I have, I have, I have technology, guys. Yeah, let's do that uh, because I do feel like that's part of the charm. You know, it's funny because um, this was a topic discussed with Ron Hauge. Ron Hauge is the person I, I mentioned earlier. He worked for The Simpsons and uh, worked for The Village Voice and other places. When he said. You know, you really do want to put time and effort into the drawing because a joke by itself, that, that's a different game. And if you really want to sell a joke, you know, the drawing is a very important uh, part of it. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm also, this, I'm this... also, I don't need to see my cartoons. As I mentioned to one time, I, I, I would would've... have been happy just having only Michael's cartoons in the book. That's because I would give them to you for free. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you. I was just going to do it. Yeah, I did show up. I'm sharing a portion of the screen. Uh, and this is the cover of the book. Is this? Harsh. There we yeah. go. Uh, and thank technology. you for not offending people. I'm getting there. Okay. Oh, anyway. Can you see this? Can, it, can people see? This is the cover of the book. This is the elements of stress and the pursuit of happy-ish in this current shitstorm. And uh, we, did, we did asterisks, so it doesn't say shitstorm on the cover. How would you pronounce that? Storm. See, I think yeah. you... So, Bob came... I did Elements of Strife. I said, what do you think of that, Bob? He goes, no, no, how about Elements of Stress? I said, okay. Then we, I came up with And the Pursuit of Happy-ish. And then Bob came up with the last bit. So, I go, what? Yeah. Of course, it didn't come in... So, it's, every, so it's everyone's fault. Yes, yeah, it is. And but, Michael, you're giving the impression that this took place over the course of 10 seconds. Yeah, it, it, it actually it actually factored in the reaction to different people who would be supporting the book and what they thought. And we did have sort of a, a very smart sort of informal survey of what would be uh, speaking to people best. I think we should pronounce it shite storm. Shite storm. Okay. I like shite. It's it's kind of British, shite. right? It sounds uh, cultural, like we've yes. uh, upper crust. Yeah, or you know, the the Brits always put a you know a positive spin. I yeah, mean, everything's bit better with a British accent. Um, does everyone see the live box in the corner with the cartoons behind it? Because or we might be uh, covering the punchline of each cartoon. It's fine. We've we done. We've we've run multiple tests on this, and this is a flawless execution of a plan. 
What's yeah. interesting, if you go back to the uh, first cartoon with the, making the election best of seven, yes, you'll notice that's in the land before widescreen television. Yeah. Oh, that's no, that's my TV. Well, that's right what now. I'm saying. I mean, we're we're back to that now. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle. I, yeah. Um, this, these are some photos that I got from, from you guys. This is from Michael. This is your studio. We wanted to show. Yes. There's, there. is that your writing assistant? Uh, that's me. That's Sam. you. Wow. You, you put on some weight. Good for you. I know. COVID. I put on the COVID 184. <laughs> In the you background, you'll the see quarantine 17 cough drawing. Oh, very nice. That I took at the Algonquin. I just took it. He would turned around and I said, "I'm grabbing this." So that, so this, this image on the wall, you stole from Mankoff. Yes. Well, I think I asked him. He said, "I'll never see you again." So that's fine. Nice. It says budget recliner. We can edit this out. No, that's great. Now this is live. Right. We 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 edit nothing out because it's Good. live. Actually, this this also is my old studio when I was living in Westchester, Ohio, and I was in um. I forget now, but um, now I'm in Manitowoc. So, but I'm still in the basement. I like to work in basements. Yeah, I'm in a storage yeah, room. Right, so we're in the middle of a show right now. Bob Mankoff is on the phone right now. He's, <laughs> I'm on. Well, with him. I, <laughs> wait, no, I haven't no. heard from him in years. Say we'll hi. talk about this later. We'll we'll talk we'll talk about we'll talk about this later. Sorry, you you guys, Jeez. the Bob's, the Bob's oh need their gosh. own podcast. Are you sure it wasn't uh you're sure it wasn't Bob Newhart? It was Bob Newhart when he was doing the Lincoln bit. I know. Yeah, I've heard that bit over and over. I'm just a little tired of it. And uh here's another photo from uh Michael. This is also his this is his oh, drawing cartoon. Oh good God. I did, <laughs> I did this for uh a case for pencils. What was that little blog? Is this glass that you have on? Is this is a light box? Yes, I still have it. And is this glass like beveled? Yes, it's it's just the top of a, uh, you know, an old table. Does that give your car, your 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 drawings <laughs> a little bit of a texture? It gives it that romantic by uh, uh, kind of foggy quality. I like it's it. Stolen from that hotel. It's yes, another thing he stole. Al- the Algonquin. This is another. He came back with a whole suitcase of stuff. This is another you photo little, from the book. You this can is see a little photo. car back there that looks like a potato with wheels. That's a mini. That's a mini Cooper. That's Bob Eckstein's yeah. car, everybody. It's yes. making very bad okay. smells coming out of it when it goes into. Look at that. Tidy. My studio isn't that tidy anymore. So. Let, let's please let it go with the mini. Let's, I'm a little sensitive about it. Jeez. <laughs> hey, I bought a car during the pandemic. I bought a car on eBay during the pandemic because I was feeling trapped in, in New York City. And I didn't have a car. And I, I had gotten rid of my own car that I'd had in the city for 17 years. And I decided to get rid of it last year because I'm an idiot. And then Let's I bought, guess what you bought. I, I bought a GMC Envoy, which is a, just a basic Ooh. SUV. Oh, my. But it That's also, what I was going to guess. It makes, a farting, guess. it makes a farting sound when I hit the brakes because of an ABS sensor problem I have to get fixed now. So every time I stop at a uh, red light, it goes every time. Is that Andy? I, I, I actually purchased a Fiat 500X. Just just during pandemic? Pre just pre when I moved back up here to uh, Wisconsin. So I you like, you moved to Wisconsin and you think I need to get a Fiat. 
Yes, it's, you know, I, I think it's the perfect car. It's a, it's a perfect snow car. It's perfect oh, yeah. for that cold weather. Now, Michael, do you take out the windshield? Because when you're in the really, really tundra cold, they yeah. take out the windshield. Because otherwise it breaks. Yeah. Well, I took in the out same the way windshield they, when yeah. I was parking. Yeah. And do you keep I, your refrigerator outside the house and yes. use it to keep things warm? So <laughs> this is the view from my, um, this is sort of, you know, when I want to come out, when I've been quarantining, and take a look around. This is my homage to Larry of the Three Stooges when they were plumbers. You were great in the Holy Grail. I thought you. I thought this was a photo for Monty Python. When you guys sent me this photo, for those of you listening, not looking at anything, this is a photo on the screen of Michael Shaw. It is a black and white photo. It is him in a yard garden type thing, and he is buried up to his neck. Yes. And he's got that was some. Actual- we were replacing waterline and I wanted to take this shot because everyone asked, is this Photoshop? I go, no. And you're wearing like a helmet type thing that looks like Monty <laughs> yes. Python and the Holy Grail type, like leather, old, like old leather helmet type thing. And when was this photo taken? Uh, last week. It was not. It was a while it was... back. <laughs> it's been a while. In fact, I tried to replicate it a few months ago and it just, the magic was not there. Anymore. Did you get stuck in the hole? I actually dug the hole because I was doing some, you know, foundational work. So that's a deep why hole. Not try it, but that you can't a... go back down the hole again. That's and then I mean. we have um, we have one more. I have one more picture to show here. This is high stress occupations in the United States. And um, Michael, top number the number one here is clown and comedian. And the lowest one is poet. Should I be rodeo clown? Uh. No, no. You you could have went there, but I think you, you would have totally killed the joke totally. But I just watched uh, Honey Boy, the Shia Shia LaBeouf movie, and uh, his dad's a rodeo clown. It's very sad and stressful. It sounds stressful. It should. They should read our book because then they I would send it to him. They would be less stressed. It's a cry for help. Yes. So uh, this is awkward. I, I know both of you have awkward stories to tell. Bob always has awkward stories to tell. So let's do. What what is a nice awkward story from Bob? It doesn't have to be pandemic say, related. Let go. No, we, I don't want to go. I'll just get in trouble. You you could throw out throw out a name of anyone. I I suggest that we all we both have a Garrison Keillor story we could share. Oh, you could throw one. out anyone. Yeah, we could throw a garrison. We could throw in any name, and garrison I got some number. kind of you mentioned with somebody. You mentioned that you submitted cartoons that were scratch and sniff. <laughs> oh yeah, this week uh, my cartoons were all pumpkin flavored. <laughs> they were. They all had to do with pumpkin, and I made like this patch where you scratch it to get the scent, like the old scratch and sniff cartoons. There was a time that I was trying to do all these different format cartoons, thinking that this would be a new, fresh way to see the cartoons. And I did this for like a year with no success until I submitted a cartoon 3D Thanksgiving. And it really was a cartoon that you needed 3D glasses to see. And this was in the New Yorker. And it was the iconic Norman Rockwell uh, Thanksgiving dinner scene where the, the mother brings the, the turkey to the family 
and everyone's looking on anxiously anticipating their their meal in my case i made the the turkey dancing and if you if you have your glasses you can really see the turkey coming right at you and um lover attempts though to do different formats kind of just flopped i had things in different languages i had different puzzles that you had to do to figure out the caption and then i had the scratch and sniff You've been doing a lot of very interesting, I feel like, multimedia or Photoshop-related um, jokes, visual jokes for Daily Beast recently. You yeah. started doing, you're like a weekly columnist, weekly featured illustrator there? I was. They're struggling at the moment. They, they love me there. They've been so supportive. And they kind of had to tell everyone that times have been very hard. And certain people have kind of been put on the sidelines for now. And I've been asked to, to just be patient until they, they do better. It's really sad because, you know, they were running such funny stuff. Yeah, you've been so putting out a lot of, I mean, it seemed like, was it weekly? It seemed like you had a, a yeah. lot of output with, and it wasn't just like one illustration. It would be like a gigantic amount of illustrations. Yeah, they did a thing with um, Pandemic Monopoly I did. And then I did face masks that were sort of bumper stickers mm -hmm. with, um, on messages on the face mask. And just to go back to something you just said about uh, trying to come up with different technology for work, um, a place contacted me, Mental Canvas, and they would like me to work with them and experiment with their new software, which is 3D cartoons. Hmm. The cartoons you draw, you actually go into the environment and you could walk around the different elements in the cartoon. You actually could go behind the main character speaking and go to another part of the room. And it's absolutely amazing. And they contacted me because I feel I'm an influencer. I, I have a large following that could help them get the word out, as well as being very tight with the teaching uh, community among art teachers. I speak at a lot of art schools. And they feel like that could be instrumental to getting the word out about this new technology. And it's absolutely amazing. It sounds amazing. And, you know, I uh, also you're a big influencer on the TikTok. I am working on a piece this morning. Uh, stars of TikTok. Where are they now? From yesterday. Uh, I, I mean, literally. On where, where do they go? They're on knickknack. knack <laughs> One of the big stars. Oh, that, is, that 3D cartoon idea just sounds frightening. I want to go Why live in a cartoon. In a, people want to people... be trapped in one of my cartoons. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Ugh. I wouldn't mind it. Point. You don't need I wrists it, or necks. I want it flat. I want it simple. I do no shading. I do no color. I want it sparse. You, you did know, a little bit of color, this, a tiny bit of color. You did in the work from yeah. home cartoon. Yeah, I know. I tried. Which was I, good. I, I, I like the effort. I like the trying. I, look, look what happens when you try. Boom. That thing I know. Got, I should try. That went off. viral. I, that was amazing. My, Michael, I've tried to talk you into adding a little bit of shading. I've had the luxury of seeing more of Michael's work than I think anyone else on the planet because Michael, for a time, him and me exchanged batches that we were yeah. submitting to the New Yorker for a time. And so I would see all of Michael's efforts. And I I'm not exaggerating. I know I'm coming across as a kiss ass here, but I used to talk to uh, my friends, Michael Maslin and uh, Nick Downs and all my other cartoon friends. We used to compare notes. And I said, I'm seeing the best cartoons out of Michael Shaw. His, his batches are just astounding. And so I had that luxury. But 
I did try to encourage you to enhance your cartoons even more because every time you did add a little bit of shading, I, I thought it even added another dimension. I don't recall you saying that, Bob. But, you know. Yeah, maybe it wasn't I'll, you. I, I'll think about I said it. to somebody. I think it was Peter Arno. Well, I think your off. cartoons are wonderful, and uh, you can do yeah. whatever you want. You don't have to add color or shading. They work just fine. No, no, I think, um, you know, Tina Brown brought color to the cartoons of the New Yorker. So look where, look what happened to her. It's a lot yeah, well, more money. Be, I don't know what this is just a beginning for you. As I said, the, the next step is the other self-help books you wanted to work on. You gave me some titles. The Joy oh. of Shtick. The Joystick, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Infected People. He he's just a, he's just not that into you tonight. And then what about doing the element to stress the musical? We talked yes. about that. I had another one here. I can't find it now. It was good. I have okay. I'm, all right, Marty. I got an awkward story to tell you. I got to tell you the story. Okay, musical story. Okay, I go to see Eric Idle at the City Hall in New York City. We go. I bought a ticket. I think it's like 35 bucks. I'm thinking, you know, will I be able to get a seat at all? Because I didn't have a seat previously. I went to the box office to buy it the day of the performance. I go into the theater. The place is empty. So now I'm thinking, I got the ticket, but it's not today. <laughs> There's a few people walking around, but it was the right time. Well, there was about there was less than 10 people who purchased a ticket for his show. So I could see them having a meeting on stage. Only only uh, 10 people bought tickets to see Eric Idle? Was this Maybe a dozen? No, this was just his stand-up. This was uh, his greedy tour, the tour that he did about trying to capitalize on Michael uh, on the Monty Python name. Boy, and he did a stand-up. That did not work. So you see them having a meeting on stage. It's, it's beyond the time that they're supposed to start. And you could see them conferring. And what they did was they had all 10 of us sit together in the corner of the theater, like together. And all of a sudden we were all sitting together and they performed to the cluster of people right there. Wow. And this is in stark contrast to a couple of nights before this, I saw Eddie Izzard in the jam-packed Radio City in which he did not perform his act, but he just had a workshop, just workshopping. He, he sold out. When the was it was sold out? When was the Eric Idle event? This was uh, a couple of days before the Eric Idle was they were together, days apart, and this was years ago. Okay. Many years ago. So anyway, I'm sitting now next to people after having many rows, all social distancing, well before the pandemic. We're all safe. Now we're 10 people smacked together. And the man next to me is talking. He's saying to another guy, he goes, Oh, I'm convinced. This is an idea we've got to do. I'm telling you, we should do a Broadway play, a musical. We'll call it something like Spamalot. And it was Mike Nichols sitting next to me. Uh -oh. Bob's outside the office. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, <laughs> he's become a died. he's become a spirited voice. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I, I my my computer went. Down. I just switched over, and I'm. That was really rude. I mean, I was hoping people would say that was an interesting story, and instead, I just got kicked out of the room. <laughs> the the, the technology uh, responded to your story accordingly. 
Yeah, story of my life. Amazing. So how many times, um, you guys are doing a lot of cartoons for, um, do you do like daily batches or weekly batches? What is your process for the cartooning? Um, Michael, what is your process in that uh, studio I, we saw? I have a device called the Gagalog. And it's basically a word file that I fill with fascinating uh, bits of humor. Or uh, as it's called, uh, mining for comedic gold. So I'll take, you know, yeah, my, the five that are striking me as the funniest and I'll work them up into roughs, you know. But what's good with me is my, my roughs and my finishes look the same. So just this one great. has more ink. Yeah. Well, you know, rollerball, um, typewriter paper, well, printer paper. That's it. You know, I keep it simple. Keep it, keep her moving. So in this joke book, essentially, this doc, um, how many undrawn cartoon ideas do you have in it right now? Oh, who knows? It's probably about 120 pages. Of oh, wow. Stuff. I mean, there's probably, I was thinking about just turning it into a freeform novel, sort of like uh, Gertrude Stein gags. I mean. Uh, when you draw the cartoon and take and take the gag and use it, do you delete yes. it from the book? Oh, no. Okay. So it stays in. Do you it mark takes, it? It usually takes about 57 tries to get the thing to actually work. So cartoons that I actually sell are probably like three to four years old. It's like, you know, when you see the star, you're just seeing the light from, you know, a million years ago. When you yeah. see my cartoon, you're seeing like three years of like just resubmitting, 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 and then they finally buy it. And it still looks like it took me 10 minutes. Yeah. Sometimes 20 it's so nice I when like something effortlessness through torture. <laughs> yeah, because it looks like it looks like you just you just yes. drew it on a whim and sent it somewhere. It has a sense of insouciance. So, I'm going to take your word that for that. Later. Yes, cheerful insouciance. Very Another cheerful. Fifty dollar word. Yes. Definitely, that is a words with friends winner right there. There we go. So, and Bob, how many? Know, that's, that's how I work. How do you work, Bob? Especially, how, how are you adjusting to work from not your normal studio? Well, that hasn't changed anything. I mean, I have an office here on the roof of my house. I, I still go outside and work on the bench. And that's where I write and come up with ideas. And I, I'm juggling a bunch of jobs. And I just work on the cartoons when I have a free time. But like this morning, I had to turn in a job for the New York Times. I did a large feature for the New York Times book review. And uh, later today, I have to work on uh, finishing up Jack Handy's book. We're working on a book together, and I have to finish that with him. And so there's our, every day there's a project. And then if I can find some free minutes, I'll work on some cartoons. And I, I stole the format from Rolling Stone's uh, back page. The back page, when growing up, I used to always look at the billboard, and they had a list of the top albums, top singles. And there was always like one like thing that said with a rocket and it's going up the scales it's going up the charts and this is what i do with my cartoon ideas i write them out i have like about you know the jokes i have are either sold or not sold there's like a thousand but in the top 20 and 30 are the ones i'm working on and as they get better they move up the chart and when you hit number one then i draw it out okay so then i go to the next one and i work my way down until i have a batch of cartoons and then I submit them to places and I'm not 
I'm no longer popular in this country, but I do sell almost all my cartoons to smaller markets in uh, England and all these magazines that exist over there. And over, over there, I'm actually quite popular. And people, people wouldn't know that, but- You're I'm like the David Hasselhoff. You're the, yeah, you're the Hasselhoff yeah. of cartooning. So Marty, I'm a lot like- I just, I just opened my gagalog and I'm looking at some of these captions. So my first one is the zoo called, you can go back now. Okay. And I, that's actually, I drew that one. So that's the guy, I'm always referring back to Thurber. So that's the guy looking at the seal. The seal's just in, its, in the bed by itself. So that's, then there's a, um, what's a good one? Oh, uh, Adam talking to Eve and uh, Adam says, I thought we were just hanging out. I thought we were just hanging out. Oh, that's, and you know, there's a very good Adam and Eve cartoon in the book uh, and they're eating the snake. Yes, that one got published. That that's a great cartoon. So here's like, doesn't work. Quint, I, I was playing with this. Quentin Quarantino. <laughs> I like that you're, you're asking like, is this anything? This is a good and joke, like right? Goes. Everything ends up with uh, your questions and then your, your voice <laughs> goes up and then you answer your own question. Don't you agree? Right? There are certain troops, tropes, troops, tropes that we fall back on. Yes. And we kind of like explore those. And then we realize that we want to be more original. And we kind of abandon those. But like, yeah, no, on my list somewhere, there's like good book, bad book, and things like that, which you kind of exhaust initially. I feel like oh, some of these are great too. This is a Michael Shaw cartoon I'm looking at that is. Now, we have two cartoons that are similar topics, and you each did your own take on it. On the back cover of the book is the Rubik's Cube cartoon, which is a famous cartoon from Bob Eckstein, which I don't know if I have handy. Maybe I haven't. I'll find it. Um, but it is a unsolved Rubik's Cube climbing up the mountain to the solved Rubik's Cube, who is the, you know, the, the, the wise one on the top of the hill. And there's no caption, and it's perfect. And I still don't get it. <laughs> and Bob, Bob, that, and that, and that cartoon Judas. has had an immense success, but kind of without you, because you drew the cartoon, and then everyone stole the cartoon and used yeah, it on it, like meditation uh, websites forever and ever. Right, it never got published. I I did submit it to the New Yorker, and the New Yorker, when you go in with a batch, they pick out the ones that they would consider and show to the next level that cartoon never even made it past the first round but um i put it on facebook and it got over a million likes and shares and it's I'm, i know that it's a very famous cartoon in other countries like brazil and china it's like a cartoon that's like considered one of the most popular cartoons and it does run right now in the new reader's digest in their yeah. genius issue wow so, there's a new reader's digest yeah. There's a genius issue? There's a genius issue, and I belong. Anything's <laughs> wrong with that. And then there's also a great cartoon that Michael did. Same topic, same idea, same searching for wisdom from the guy on top of the hill. Which and is why I'm suing him. And it's a, it's a hiker talking to a guy, and he said, no, but I can tell you the meaning of whole or term life insurance. So he's a life insurance salesman, not a yoga no. So my, my most famous cartoon is my blank cartoon of nothing. 
pen. That's your best work when you do yes, nothing. Because I didn't draw all I I drew the lines, but that's it. I drew it very carefully. And it went viral after the Charlie Hebdo shootings. And it went all the way around the world. And I ended up on uh uh Ronan Farrow. So yeah, that guy. He's he's talking to someone from the onion, and this guy's just completely outraged, completely <laughs> angry completely uh, just seething with anger. And then he turns to me and he says, uh, Michael, how do you feel when someone tries to change your work? I go, I don't care. If you're gonna buy it, do whatever you want. I'm fine with that. And that's all I said. <laughs> I said, well, what's Woody really like? Come on. Oh my. And that was your, that, I mean, that was. Talk about talk word. That was a nice screeching halt, and I'm sure that that surprised him. And um, I didn't actually say that; I just added that. For oh come on! You, come you, on. Oh, I win. We, we're we're trusting you. I don't. <sighs> Where'd you get the penguin? I was wondering oh. about that penguin too. Yeah, there's a lot of polar stuff in the room because uh, the room is an attic that I turned into the inside of a ship because I'm doing a graphic novel about Arctic exploration. So I have all these little artifacts. Uh, let me go get one other thing to show you. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> there he goes. Bob likes to keep busy. This is... Um, this I, is I think it's does a sword go into that, or is that a horn that you blow and, and play a... That's an a ivory shelter. tusk. That's an ivory it's tusk. A, it's a fake. No, it's a... It's, it's something I got um, from a dealer, but I have a lot of collectible stuff to inspire me. And I and that includes a cartoon. I have a cartoon on the wall. The only cartoon I have anywhere. I have a Michael Maslin cartoon. And it's a, it's a great cartoon of uh, aliens coming back to Earth with their spaceship. And they see the wallet in front of them. They said, oh, it's right where I left it. It's good. Sorry. <laughs> It was in parking lot D. Listen, no one said that reading cartoons like this is going to work. There's I, a great I, cartoon wanted... that I got from Bob. He signed it. It's a signed print, and it's wonderful. And it's um, it's a man interviewing a snowman, and he says, where do you see yourself in five years? Five months? Five months. Oh, my God. Thank Alpha. you. See, really, can, <laughs> I, can we change hosts? <laughs> uh, let, let me mention that we have a book coming out, uh, another book called All's Fair and Love and War. It's a collection of cartoons. And uh, Michael's work is like the most predominantly featured cartoonist in the book. But it includes all the people uh, who are the world's greatest cartoonists, like Matt Diffie and Raj Chaz. And if people do want to hear more about um, cartooning and stuff, I, I recently did a, a show a couple of days ago the Milford Festival, I did a conversation with Raj Chaz and Matt Diffie. And it was a fascinating talk about cartoons and writing humor and the future of humor right now. And if people really want to get into this even deeper, they would want to check that out. It's on YouTube. You just type in Milford Festival and our names. And we discussed it even further than we're doing now. Um, the, it's hard to get serious with Michael. The cartoon series that you've been putting out, uh, Bob, uh, by the world's greatest cartoonists, All's Fair, the ultimate cartoon book, the ultimate cartoon book for critics, the ultimate cartoon book for 
You've done a couple it was of these bookstores, now. right? Bookstores. The other one was bookstores. You right. did the world's greatest bookstores. That was its own book where you painted a beautiful bookstores from all around the world. And then you've done three of these cartoon collection books now. Well, no, I was mentioning the first book was about bookstores. It was cartoons about bookstores, right? Sorry. And it was a it was a thank you card to all the bookstores that helped make my first book a success. They had asked me to do a follow up. I wasn't able to do a follow-up with the publisher, so I did something different, which is to give them a laugh and to give them something fun for themselves, which was cartoons about life in bookstores and life with books and stuff. And that that mushroomed into these series. And now this one comes out, and it's about love and marriage and divorce. Initially, the publisher wanted me to do it just about divorce, but I thought that was just too negative, and uh, we expanded it to be about marriage and divorce. Just relationships in general. And this is by Sam Gross. Mm -hmm. And Sam Gross is 87. Um, I just spoke to him yesterday. He's doing great. I'm going to go see him. He's in Fire Island. And he's been working. And he's doing some great work. He's in the new issue of The New Yorker. He has a cartoon. And it's it's the funniest cartoon in the issue. It's really good. And, uh, and I should mention, it's because of him that I'm a cartoonist. We were friends before I was a cartoonist. I was working on a snowman book, um, The History of the Snowman. And he and I got to know each other. And he was helping me with that book. And he took me out for my birthday to dinner. And during that dinner, that it was actually a lunch. And during that lunch, he dared me to try to do cartoons. And I did a cartoon. I did a batch. And then he took me into the New Yorker offices the, the next couple of weeks later. It was two weeks later. And he introduced me to Bob Mankoff. And I knew nothing about cartoons and anything. But he introduced me to the New Yorker. And that's how I started. Sam's a great guy, too. I remember you introduced me to Sam um, maybe yeah. five years ago. He came into the, um, the offices and did a portfolio review. He actually brought cartoons in. You brought him in. I had a bunch of young comedy writers who were in. And uh, we were just having like a like a meet and greet and having him and you come in was such a treat. Everyone just fawned over both of you. But he was so uh, giving of his time and he brought all these originals in. And then he had let me he gave me a tour of his office in Manhattan. Um, and I got to go through all the old f his filing cabinets. And yeah. he keeps I mean, he's analog, you know, big time. And it, it, they're all, every cartoon, every gag is is filed away in a very, very organized, specific way. And he just ha he just has so many, so many cartoons in his archive. Um, it was incredible. Oh, Marty, I know. Sam, I sorry, I was a Sam fan back in the Lampoon days when, uh, before I ever looked at New Yorkers. And I, Frog's legs. I found him so sweetly amusing, yet inappropriate so inappropriate <laughs> yeah I, that's and when i met him for the first time all i could do is talk about his cartoons from the lampoon yeah. <laughs> he said, could you stop talking about those michael he's got such a timeless style that he does yeah. seems like it's I think, outdated I, I think if there's anyone who i sort of approach i think it's him as far as style goes yeah it's very simple oh. it's very simple yeah. it doesn't it doesn't overtake the joke no. It's just enough right. to make the he joke work. He doesn't upstage it. He right. doesn't uh, steal the scene. Uh, and uh, Marty, I'll, I'll share that for the book that I described, the, the next cartoon book, when I asked for submissions from Sam, 
he asked me to come on over because it was too many. And he had 800 submissions on the topic of, of love and divorce that we went through together. And we went through all 800 cartoons wow. to pick out the best ones. And then, of course, we made him the cover. How many did you pick out of the 800? I think we picked like um, like seven of the best. Okay, that's good. And I did try to pick everything on merit. Like that was my, I've always said to myself that I want to be honest and, and true to this art form. I love this art form. I feel indebted to cartooning, the joy it brought me and to the cartoonists. I owe it to them. So I always try to do it simply on merit. And I will say that I think Michael has the most cartoons at like 13 along with uh, possibly um, Ed Corrin, who is also a wonderful cartoonist. And, and he's got like 10 cartoons as well. And he, very strong uh, outing. And we're the but, synthesis of each other's style. Mm, could Ed. be, you could say that, yeah. He's got a gentle humor that's very observational. Yeah. I was in that, we were doing that podcast at the Norman Rockwell. Oh, right, right. We were all together then. It's just uh, kind of, kind of uh, orating lyrically about what a joy it is to cartoon. I just want to go say, no, it's torture. What do you mean it's a beautiful experience? Cartooning oh, I, is torture. Exactly. The experience is very different for different people, depending on how much love they get back from their work. I know cartoonists who I hear from all the time who have yet to be published anywhere, and they are very tormented souls. But even when you get published, it, it seems to be like this is a lot. This is a symptom that is a lot of comedic base um, attention is, is when you accomplish that thing. Like when you get that cartoon in that magazine or in that newspaper, you feel great. And then you're like, OK, I need to get another one in. Yes, like, it's, it's like it, it's like that high that you've been chasing only lasts like until I have to submit another one. I need that again. It's very similar uh, for like stand up comedians who go up on stage and they do really well. And then it's like, okay, great. Now I have to go do that again. Like I have to do it again. I have to do it again. So it's kind of like something that you're chasing forever. And are you ever done? No. What would be the, the end goal of any of these things? Is it just being able to do it for as long as possible? Yeah. A good joke on the tombstone, a good joke on the tombstone. Uh, I have a few <laughs> tombstone jokes. I do too. What is okay? Give me, give me your top, give me your number one tombstone joke, and then my, Michael, give me your number one tombstone joke. Well, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I've been cartooning for a bunch of magazines, so they ask for specific things. One of them is uh, the Antiques Weekly, and they said they want me to do cartoons about auctioneer guys, and um, I did a tombstone for them that says "I'm out." It's uh, a bitter. I'm out. You know, but, but I did a similar cartoon for a company that was a phone company and telemarketing. And uh, the tombstone said, I'm still on hold. <laughs> That's a great one. That's a great one. Okay. So, Shaw, you're up. One I did, which I've never published. I've never drawn it yet either. So it's right, still right here. So it's the tombstone says RIP. And the joke is going to be like, yeah, his nickname was Rip. His nickname was Rip. And when Johnny Carson died, of course, I did a Here's Johnny on the uh, tombstone. And of course, I've done a I Voted little the tombstone with an I Voted sticker on it. So see, that's why they've never been published. 
And there's the two. No, no, people are laughing. You just can't hear them. I, I, Marty's doing a good job of just holding in the guffaw. Um, <laughs> That's I, a cutout. He's not here part. anymore. The tomb <laughs> to the unknown blank. So I'm always filling that in. Tomb to the unknown exit strategy. You know, tomb, tomb to the unknown CEO. So you just fill that in. Keep filling that in. Yeah. Someone will buy it. Well, it's like, it's like it's like a trope that can be used over and over again. Like it's a it's you could do that drawing once, and then you could keep on filling in that one yes. little joke, the way Bob has. Bob, you have a cartoon that's like a, a like a like a Hollywood agent character, like talking oh, he to someone. He reappears many times. He's he's ever I've seen that drawing so many times, but there's always a new joke, or there's always there's always a new person in the chair he's talking to, whether it's a, <laughs> whether it's a bear, or whether it's a yeah. snowman. It is. It's, yeah. Our Frankenstein. Yeah, there's always someone in that chair. It's always that same palm tree in the window. Yeah. That's my shortcut. That's my shorthand for saying that we're in Hollywood. We all use shorthands for the different things, the different symbols. Like a, like if you had to do a, a drawing about love, we use the heart symbol. Right. So, But if we want to do something... Um, like about Hollywood, I draw um, Jeremy, what's his face? The porn pornographer. And I, I make him the, the agent. <laughs> I make uh, Jeremy, what's his face? The, uh, the, uh, the agent. Yes. I've noticed. That's what that. he looks like. Yep. Yeah. Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. That's it. Yes. Right. Yeah, He's in the news right now. That's the only reason I know. Oh, that's right. Nothing good. Nothing, Nothing good. good. Yeah. Maybe we can get him a copy of our book, The Elements of Stress. He could use it. I think so. Are you seen his apartment? It's a mess. <laughs> I haven't been invited. No, they posted pictures on like the sun or some British tabloid. The book's coming out uh, soon. Hopefully this week your book's coming out, The Elements of Stress. Um, Thanks to you, Marty. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's going to be It's going to be huge. We're very excited. Um, people, oh, this is a funny quick story. So let's talk about this. I was going to say, go to the uh, elementsofstress.com for more information about the book yes. or elementsofstress.com for more information about the book to pre-order the book. Now you can do that um, and you'll be getting it in the mail. It will be available widely um, and you can buy it wherever you buy books uh, very soon. But I set up the website for elementsofstress.com uh, and we've been on many emails about this, but then what happened recently uh, with you and Mike, uh, Michael on the on the email exchange, which I found very funny. Yeah, Michael was asking about getting that do domain name for himself. And what and happened uh, when he when he uh, when and then you realize right. it was taken, and you're like, right. oh crap, maybe we can buy it from that person. Yes, and I thought you were like a Korean online uh, casino or something. Had snatched it. So I unfortunately let my domain name. Laps. So Michael was very concerned that, oh, darn, we didn't get the domain. I have to buy it from this stranger. Meanwhile, we've had umpteen amount of emails <laughs> talking about going to the website that was live. <laughs> don't read all my emails. That's obvious. Send a postcard. So please go to the uh, elementsofstress.com to learn more about the book. Get it on pre-order. And uh, this has been great, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Always fun oh, to hear about cartooning it. and writing and comedy from Bob Eckstein and Michael Shaw, two legends of the cartoon comedy business here You're on Talkward. Thanks for being on Talkward today. Where can people find you guys online? You're uh, on Twitter, Bob, at, at Bob Eckstein? That's correct. 
Um, I have a Facebook page and I have a website and Twitter and Instagram, and you'll see all my musings and cracking wise. And before I forget, I want to also thank Andy for all his work. If he's not sleeping right now, but on the podcast, but I want to thank him for all his efforts for the book. Andy Newton, the editor of Humorous yep. Books, who has been tirelessly working on editing this book. He has his own book, too, we should mention. He does. He does. The On the Campaign Trail or Thereabouts is still available yeah. uh, on Amazon and everywhere you get books. He uh, co-wrote yeah. that with Michael Bleicher. And uh, it's a great campaign, political satire, very timely. So speaking of multimedia, my Instagram is called Shawtoons on a Fridge. And I used to actually tape them on a on a, my old Norge refrigerator and photograph them and then post them. So you're actually looking at my refrigerator with a cartoon taped on it. That's yeah. for Sean. Yeah, Shaw Tuner, right? That's your Instagram? Yeah, I, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I try. I have seen your cartoons. The cartoons that you put online are photographs of cartoons on your fridge. Yes. Yes. Cartoons on our Mar fridge. Marty, I got to say, you know, you're talking about how do we get uh, satisfaction, you know, the, the, the craving for applause and stuff like that. For me, the best moment is going to a party at a stranger's house. You know, a friend knows somebody or whatever. You find yourself in a strange home and you see your cartoon on the refrigerator. That's right. The refrigerator used to be the social media for cartooning. Yeah. That used to be, that's the first Facebook. It is. That's the wall. The first wall was your fridge with a magnet. I have a bunch of cartoons um, up in my kitchen that are actually cartoons that were hanging on my grandparents' Frigidaire, which yes. they called they called any refrigerator a Frigidaire. Open the Frigidaire. It didn't have to be a Frigidaire, but it was always that brand, she always would say. That was Lolly and Pops' house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But she had tons and tons of cartoons cut out up on the fridge for years, for my entire childhood of going there for holidays. And they were like yellowed and, and you know, rumpled. And they were classic cartoons and i took many of those when they packed up that house um and i got them laminated and i have them up in my kitchen but they're uh, some great ones like um there was a single panel cartoonist and the cartoon was called herman yeah that's i loved herman it was herman and it was hilarious yeah. and it was always oh, yeah there was a multitude of, of car uh, the cartoons that my grandmother cut out for some reason she was a very bad motorist very bad driver Many stories of her driving the wrong way. She didn't drive very much in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And she she ran over my grandfather with a golf cart uh, at the Oakmont Country Club. And um, so all the cartoons, a lot of them were very much about marriage. She always cut out things about marriage relationships and then also uh, automotive problems. So the two that I have up that are sticking out in, in my head right now, this one where it's a Herman cartoon and the car is completely smashed and there's a toll booth, and this old woman goes, well, do you want the 50 cents or not? And the, the car is destroyed. And then um, there was another one where the car is called Close to Home, which is the name of the cartoon. And it, the cartoon was in the, uh, the front uh, family room. The car has gone through the front house window into the family room, and the man is sitting in his easy chair, and the woman's in the car. And she goes, well, they do say that most accidents happen uh, like within five miles of the house. And she has Ooh. driven into the house. And the cartoonist was, I believe, Howard Unger. No relationship to Felix Unger. For Herman, yeah. 
Right. I have a, I have a Herman anthology somewhere. Do you? These people were it. just fascinating to look at. Yeah. And that, and then also, I remember I have one. Uh, I have a far side that I'd stay, that I'm remembering. There's a far side uh, that I have up on the wall, and it is um, a newsstand, and it is. Uh, I think they're they're good news. Good news. He you know, says we have we have good good news and bad news, and it's news. just it's just the animal, uh, animal. news inside the <laughs> inside the newspaper stand. These make no sense out of context if you can't see them, folks. But trust me, they're funny, no, I, I, and I'll put them on not, the website. Not all of them work. I'll not put them on the website work. for you to see. Um, but this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for being on Talkward today, guys. And um, please, and thank you for listening out there. Follow us online at Talkward Podcast and uh, follow uh, Weekly Humor. Sign up for our daily and weekly newsletters at weeklyhumorous.com. Follow me at Marty Dundix. Thanks for being on Talkward, guys. Congratulations on the upcoming book, The Elements of Stress, available very soon. Please visit theelementsofstress.com. And uh, that's all I got. Do you guys have anything else? I want, you know, Bob to get outside and get some fresh air. Got to get that, got to get that car fixed. (laughs) All right, I'll do, I'll work on this. Great talking to you guys. Thank you. Talking to you. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Talk Word. Please subscribe, follow us, and visit weeklyhumorist.com.